0: This is Gil Manser welcoming you to a mysterious breakfast serial broadcast of word-by-word conversations with writers on North Bay Public Media KRCB-FM. A sequel to last summer's Sonoma Square's murder mystery, the new Sonoma Square's Red Harvest started its first chapter in Sunday morning's Press Democrat and will continue in print and online each morning until the final installment, Chapter 14. The new serial picks up where the popular original left off, with the scheming killer still fixated on reporter Sandy Cordero. Tonight, four of the 14 authors are with us in the KRCB studio. This particular gang of four includes press Democrat entertainment reporter Dan Taylor, who wrote Chapter 2. Sonoma Square's Red Harvest co-editor Frederick Weisel, author of the mystery Teller, a novel, who wrote Chapter 3. Musician, PD, staff writer, and blogger, and author of the fantasy novel Horse Stalker, Robert Digitale, who wrote Chapter 5. And press Democrat writer and blogger Chrissy Langwell, author of the newly released novel, A Symphony of Cicadas, who wrote Chapter 8. And we won't give away too much (laughs) because Chapter 8, no one has had a chance to read except for me, who I had a chance. And I will tell everyone at home, I did not read the final chapter. So I'm in the, uh, I don't know who did, who done it yet. Also in the interest of transparency, I'm also a member of the Press Democrat family. My Cinema Toast movie column appears weekly in the Petaluma Argus Courier and is a blog through the PD's Petaluma 360 and 707 Entertainment sites. Dan, Fred, Robert, and Chrissy, I want to welcome you to Word by Word. Thank you, Gil. Since you are a returning guest on the program, Robert, I'm having sat in the same spot for the Word by Word show about the original Sonoma Square's murder mystery way back in June of 2012. Perhaps you could bring our listeners up to date who don't remember that far back and you know read it then or maybe didn't read it then about what happened and this the setup for the whole thing
1: very good uh th- the first season started with a killing on the Hillsburg Plaza, and a woman in a red mumu was found slain with a single word written on her arm, Sonoma a few days later. A uh, six foot five taxidermist from Lake County was found floating face up in the Sonoma Plaza duck pond, a single word, Sebastopol, written on his arm. And that's how the story began. Uh, the sheriff's detective uh, was uh, just amazed at the, the daringness of this killer, but he wasn't expecting him to send one of the victim's cell phones to newspaper reporter Sandra Codero, complete with photos of the corpses. And that's how Sonoma County first learned about this killer. Uh, a series of uh, uh, events uh, happen in that first season. It it ends with uh, Sandra and the sheriff's detective saving Sandra's best friend uh, f- from a car that uh, quickly explodes in the Santa Rosa downtown Plaza Shopping Center. And the killer says he's going away. And now it's a year later and he's come back.
0: Aha. Well, that's a nice setup. So the, uh, what you did as the editor and the uh, the person who thought this up, I guess we'll call it. Can we give you that title? Mm-hmm. Thinker-upper? That uh, you said, I'm going to write, we're going to do a sequel. We had such a wonderful response to the first one. And uh, I think you did one in Christmas time. There was a serial that ran there as well in the Press Democrat.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: And um, so uh, how did you, what did you do to get this going?
1: Well, even from season one, I knew I wanted this to continue. And uh, in season one, we do give away uh, something about who that person is Mm -hmm. who's killing all these folks. Uh, For season two, how to continue the story, uh, I I quickly turned to Fred and uh, asked him, work with me, help me try and figure out some stuff. Uh, quickly he said we need to know the killer's motivation and i went what <laughs> Oh no!" <laughs> and then as we talked about who could be some new villains brought in uh my ideas weren't so good and he came up and he said have you been reading your paper right you know because there are all these home invasion robberies those could serve as the basis and so from that uh, that, that served as sort of the building blocks for the second story.
0: Not just home invasion robberies, but murders involving pot.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah. Too many, if <laughs> yes. I might add. Yes. yes.
0: If we have anything to say about that. So what happens in the opening chapter? I'm going to read the excerpt so the people at home will be, you know, who haven't read it yet. Uh, it's available online at the thepressdemocrat.com, is it?
1: Right. Yeah. The, the two ways to... Grab it or pressdemocrat.com slash mystery, they tell me, will work. Okay. And uh, also just com.
0: Okay. D-I-G-A-T-L-E.
1: Like digital with an E, stories.com.
0: All one put All together work. word. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here is the first chapter. It is called Backfire by Jeremy Hay. And um, he is a... He works for the PD. He's a staff writer, staff writer, staff writer. a
1: reporter okay. for the Press Democrat,
0: and he takes this on a detour right away. A car backfired going past him on Columbus Avenue, and though he didn't flinch, Zach Brown's mind turned back, as if on cue, to the explosions in the Santa Rosa Plaza's garage and then beyond them to the dead bodies in the small town squares. A cop with an unsolved case is like a guy on a date whose car won't start. When the case is four homicides and a twisted taunting killer, it's worse. It's a guy who doesn't have jumper cables, doesn't know a carburetor from a starter, and doesn't have a AAA card. It's been a long year, Brown thought, and it was only getting longer. The bar at the bottom of Kearney Street had a windowless steel door, and when he pulled it open, something that he supposed was music assaulted him. A linebacker-sized bouncer with tattooed sleeves gave him a once-over, and Brown went past him and stopped looking around. When he couldn't hear well, he couldn't see well either, and... Right now, with the music, what it was, everybody's face was a blur. Does Sandra Cordero listen to this stuff, he wondered? She had always struck him as a city girl, and he hadn't been surprised when she moved here to the Chronicle. She was a good reporter, but as far as reporters go, better than the Chronicle. But San Francisco would fit her better than wine country. So there we are, in a different venue. Mm -hmm. We're in the big city, so to Mm -hmm. speak. We're at the Cron, as they Mm -hmm. call it in here.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And... uh, now, I understand, Dan Taylor, that you did not, you hadn't read that chapter, but when you got your no. chance to, which is kind of funny, because you start at the entrance of the Chronicle newsroom, right, on yours. So right. you must have gotten some clues from this man on my right. You
3: know, Robert, Robert gave me um, an outline, a very slim, compact outline of what I needed to accomplish in that, in that chapter. And, mm-hmm. and then that was it. I just uh, I I took a I, I printed out the entire first season as as Robert calls it and right. read it in, in an hour or two and then I I uh, wrote several drafts over a period of a few weeks at home mm-hmm.
0: and this was your first you told me uh, fiction in since
3: college yeah well, it was my first published fiction okay. ever. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: uh, I, We're uh, soon to
0: be published. So. Yeah, yeah I,
3: st- right. I, studied, I studied every writing class I could get when I was in journalism school, mm-hmm. uh, But and, and I've written for fun with my son and, and never tried to publish it. I haven't even freelanced very much. I, I've been on staff at a newspaper one, one place or another since I was 19. So. Well,
0: as they tell you, write what you know in the description of the newsroom at the Chronicle. is right spot on, because my father-in-law was the uh, Sunday editor for the Chronicle Examiner combination for years and years. And you'd go in and there were the desks, you know, with cu- littered, except for his, which had to be cleared because he was always laying out the, you know, the the, the mm-hmm. Sunday front pages mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, so tell us more about your chapter. I mean, the people have read it now, so I'm not giving anything away here.
3: Well, I'm relieved to hear you say that my description of the Cron Newsroom is accurate because I've never been there. Ah, <laughs> well, but I've been in a lot of newsrooms, and I did look online and 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 check that they had. Yeah, the, in the the trilogy.
0: silly thing is they put these white Formica desks in, mm-hmm. and if you can imagine what you know with the old newsprint, how quickly those became gray. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: there's something dingy about a newsroom even right after they remodel. Right. Well, I started this. Uh, I thought my strength was having done so many interviews, and so I started by writing the dialogue. Right. And uh, and I also have covered theater for decades, so I felt comfortable with that. And then mm-hmm. I let that sit for a while and mm-hmm. then went back and rewrote it a couple of times. But it actually uh, – I took most of my inspiration from um, season one uh, chapters by Heather Chavez on the copy desk. Mm-hmm. Copy editors are so invisible; they don't have bylines. People don't know they're there. She wrote a couple of really good pieces, and she did most of the characterization of Sandy and her friend Abby. Right. And I just felt there was a rhythm to their banter and the way they kidded each other and their nicknames for each other. And mm-hmm. it was really comfortable. Mm-hmm. It was really pretty easy to get into it.
0: So you approached it as a play, sort of.
3: Yeah, I did. You know, yeah, I did it as a as a dialogue, and then I then I went back and rewrote some of the conversation so it wouldn't be too clunky.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and the title Fear Factor, why, why that for the chapter?
3: I actually don't know.
1: <laughs> that's, that came
3: from Robert, too.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> but he
1: does have an important thing to set up, and it ties into what Chrissy's going to do, because in his chapter he's talking about Sandra's moved on to the big city, but she's still haunted by what's gone on before yes. and what's going to happen next.
0: And what's going to happen next is in Chapter 3, Frederick. Yes. You, again, Did you, you just had some notes from Robert. You had not read the previous two chapters?
2: Uh, I think when I started this, I hadn't read anything. I think ah. I was actually the first chapter to be finished. But Robert and I had been meeting, I don't know, four or five times and brainstorming ideas. Mm-hmm. And um, we kind of uh, blocked out the, the plot and figured out what was going to happen. And because I had come up with the idea of home invasion robberies, uh, Robert said, well, why don't you write that chapter? Which Uh,
0: you entitled Home Invasion. invasion. What an original idea. Yeah, exactly.
2: So what I did was I had noticed all these articles in the Press Democrat about home invasion. So I downloaded all those stories and read them carefully and tried to see what happened in them and used those kind of details to write this this chapter. Mm -hmm. And we also decided, I think, that we would have the, the actual robbery and what would happen in the robbery. And we'd also have them come back to where they lived. Um, Robert came up with this picture of a closet filled with cash. Mm-hmm. And I liked that. I thought that was a, a striking image. So we have the, the robbers take the marijuana and the money and, and then come back to their house. And, and it's the first time you see this closet of cash. Um and I think we went back and forth a couple times, but it's almost all dialogue, and um, it's really just getting them into the house, getting the money, and getting out again.
0: Well, it's interesting in there. You, I think this is their seventh robbery, and they're planning to do ten. So why yes. that? Those magical numbers. What is the motivation for them?
2: Um, n- there's nothing magic about those numbers. We just, I just wanted to show them as. Experience that they had been doing this for a while. Um, I'm a big fan of Elmore Leonard, mm-hmm. a crime writer, mm-hmm. and I his his um, criminals seem almost like blue collar workers. They they do their work, and and there's not a lot of drama about it. And I wanted to portray them that way. So I, I thought if they had some routine, I thought also I'd enter the the time element. We need to get in and get out quickly. Right. That that would give some drama to the chapter.
0: Yeah, well, the out of drama, of course, comes in that they'll, they've cased the place and think they know it back in words and forwards that there's a surprise that occurs. Would, should we give that away, Chapter 3? It's already out there. It's
1: already out All right.
0: And the other man appears.
2: And interesting, that wasn't something I planned. I actually <laughs> – I wrote the chapter and as I was writing it, I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting if uh, something unexpected happened and – If there was a a death, and I I think Robert and I talked about how a homicide would draw more attention from the the authorities. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sure they were already working on it, but with a homicide, it would get more attention. Right. And added that. And then I also wanted to add um, the shooter's reaction because I thought it would give him a little more humanity that he went over and he was immediately worried about what had happened. Um, so that was something just that was added as I was working on it,
0: well, there are several things going on here because the point of view is from the the criminals yes mm-hmm. uh his his reaction when he goes over as I recall was interesting. Do you want to share a little bit about your thought process there? Did you put yourself in his shoes if that had happened to you, or how did you figure it out
2: um I thought that, you know, he was an experienced robber, but he wasn't someone who had ever killed anyone before. And uh, I don't remember the exact sentence, but it's um, the he feels the shotgun go off in his hands. Mm -hmm. So it's almost as if the gun is the actor in in that in that scene Mm -hmm. and um, that he wasn't planning to do that. But he was so fearful once um, the man coming out of the shower fired at him. Right. Um, and then he just intuitively runs over to this guy and realizes that he's dead. And, um, uh, you know, he as as they're leaving, the whole time element comes back, and they are able to get out of the house in a matter of time. But in his own mind, it seems like a long time because this homicide has happened.
0: Yeah, but the other thing he does, which is very telling, is he does the sign of the cross over the dead body.
2: Uh, one of his... Uh, uh, Comrades, does yeah, that? I see, yeah, right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is again the humanity of the people who just committed a very violent act. Exactly. And when they get back to the house, what's going on on the uh, with the young man who's there is that they are in the midst of a very violent video game.
2: Yes, and uh, Robert and I talked about what kind of person on this team would they trust to guard the money, and we talked about having someone who was large and strong. Mm-hmm. And I thought, why don't we go the other way and have someone who's not really responsible? And so I invented this character, Tyler, mm-hmm. and um, he's the nephew of the the main robber. And he's there because uh, Kenner, the main robber, is taking care of him for his sister. Right. With um, reservations. With reservations. And he's, um, I think Robert said, give me a two-sentence bio of each of these characters, and I described him as a uh, 25-year-old slacker who spends all his time smoking marijuana and playing video games. Mm-hmm. And um, as an aside, I'll just say that one of the things I was really um, grateful for was, was watching how the other writers used his voice and created something with mm-hmm. Tyler. Mm-hmm. Particularly, I won't spoil it, but particularly... Um, uh, Randy Rossman right. did a really nice dialogue using this character of Tyler. Um, I guess everyone knows a 25-year-old slacker, so um, <laughs> they do that. Uh, so they, the, the robbers come back to the house, and um, they count the money, again, in a very sort of methodical fashion. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Tyler is trying to give Kenner some words of advice, um, Kenner thinks of it as, as stoner wisdom, uh, trying to, to um, make him feel better. Uh, but then they, they pack up the money and they take it and put it in this closet. And so here's this closet that's partway filled with cash. And um, uh, that's, I think, kind of a powerful image for what they've done and why they're doing it. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, the other interesting thing to me as I was reading it was the uh, the matter-of-fact way in which, oh, I just shot somebody. That's what he says when he comes back to the house. Some, somebody came out. It was unexpected. We had, you know, there's a den of death. Well, if I were a robber, I would immediately go to the DEFCON 3. My gosh, that means the cops will be on our case because a murder is a whole different thing than a home invasion and blah, 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 blah. blah. They don't do that.
2: Well, he does say to Tyler. Yeah, but it's, a, is, it's
0: an aside. It's yeah. not a real concern or worry.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, I wanted to portray them as um, experienced criminals who have Mm -hmm. been doing this for a while, and they are carrying weapons. And so they must have known it could happen. I wanted to show him as being surprised and worried, but not, um, you know, completely uh, freaked out so that he wouldn't be able to continue.
0: They don't make any ways to cover their tracks either. No. No. Okay, we're going to skip over Chapter 5 where we get into the mind of the killer quite a bit. Um, And this is an interesting one we'll have to handle with Kid Gloves because the listening audience Wednesday night has not read Chapter 5 yet. Is that correct? Let's see. We've gone to the Mm – Yes. That's tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. So how are we going to do this, Robert?
1: We're just going to push ahead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The title, let me give you the – which I think is interesting called Finding Robin Hood.
1: I wrote this chapter because I didn't want to give it to anybody else. It just seemed it would be cruel and unusual punishment. So I did it myself. Uh, again, what we've set up here is we've now got the killers come back. Mm-hmm. There are these home invasion robbers out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sheriff's detective is going to soon be investigating both of these right. cr- criminals. and And a how-
0: reporter, don't forget her.
1: Yeah, Sandra is out there trying, hoping that she's not going to get drawn back into this. Wanted a way to bring all these folks together. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's happening in Finding Robin Hood. Uh, the killer has uh, spent the night uh, sleeping in a van, uh, sort of scoping out uh, someone who's he's been tipped off to is a drug dealer. And the home invasion robbers are going to be showing up to the same person because he is their source for information. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's...
0: Information about who's growing big, a lot of cash.
1: who's supplying and who's got the cash. Right. And so uh, that's what brings them together. And from there, um, more crazy things are going to happen. But we needed a way to get them together. And uh, rather than... Lay it all out for people. I'm going to
0: have you read the opening paragraph, because that's not too much. All right? Uh,
1: Gerald Mark Pointer awoke near dawn to the sound of car doors slamming and engines starting. He'd slept the night inside a white delivery van, parked in front of an apartment complex off West Avenue in Santa Rosa's Roseland neighborhood. Opening his eyes, he figured he was listening to working stiffs, driving away to jobs in food factories and vineyards. Slowly, he pushed himself off a thin mattress. His knees and shoulders ached from a lousy night's sleep. Pulling apart tan curtains from the back windows, he noticed the summer fog had settled high over the city. Immediately, he set a Nikon camera with a 500-millimeter telephoto lens on a specially built stand, pointing it out the back. Gingerly, he sat down on a plastic milk crate. While he waited, he ate two, two low-fat energy bars and chugged chocolate soy milk from a thermos bottle.
0: I love the little details, the chocolate soy milk. So is he lactose intolerant or is he just like this stuff? Uh,
1: as you'll learn in Jeremy's chapter, he's a person who does not like drugs and alcohol. Right. And uh temple pure. Yes. And uh Jeremy, who did a great job of setting that up, uh has uh, you know, tells readers a lot about what's going on inside this young man at least to get us started. We'll find out more later, but that was a good Mm set.
0: So what else were you trying to do in this chapter? Again, not giving anything away to our listeners.
1: Um, Just to, to give us a sense of how are both of these people finding folks? How, how is the killer finding uh, those who are dealing in weed? Because, In uh, chapters, he's going to go after some of those people. Mm -hmm. And then how are the home invasion robbers finding people? Now, this is not how every home invasion robber finds people, obviously. Uh, But this was a way of kind of helping folks understand how might this happen? How might uh, these folks be finding their targets? And then what happens when the killer stumbles upon the home invasion robbers?
0: Right. And the interesting thing is the the crossing of – the people, the characters, it's like, uh, you know, a small town, mm-hmm. Santa Rosa becomes really, really small because the cops happen to be in the same parking lot as other people who are important. And,
1: well, yeah. that's going to happen in the next yeah, chapter in with the, Randy right. Rossman. Right. Yeah. And she did a great job uh, of continuing to bring the folks together. There's eventually going to be some confrontations, more than one in this book, between all these folks. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yes, uh, she did a great job of, of setting that up in, in Pengrove where you have the, – the the robbers run a, an organic farm, an organic vegetable farm. Right. That's their cover. And uh, Randy's chapter, they're delivering their veggies and they're going places that the sheriff's detective is also going and uh, the killer is watching it all.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So we move along through another couple of chapters and end up at Showdown, which is Chapter Eight. This yeah. is Chrissy Langwell's chapter. Now, this one is a, has a different what's the word I want tone to it. Is right. that a good word?
4: Right. And you right. did.
0: I assume there's a reason and rationale for why you wanted to do it this way.
4: Okay. Well, first of all, when I got my chapter, I hadn't. You know, I'm way later. I'm like right in the middle of the book. Right. I hadn't read anything except for. A very early version of the chapter right before me because I find it hard to actually write my chapter, know what's going on without actually getting a little tiny bit of background. Mm -hmm. So, but um, when Robert gave me um, the outline of um, what it was, and I don't know how much I can actually divulge just because it's. um, Well, you you can, I think you can do
0: a couple of things. You could do uh, read the opening paragraph.
4: Sure. Inhaling the sweet scent of lavender that lined the top of the parking lot, Sandra, Brown, and Abby made their way up to the dusty trail towards the tents of the Matantas Creek Winery Gala. As they walked, the sounds of music and laughter mingled with anxiety swirling around Sandra's head. Brown had filled her in on the latest murder the night before, the words Red Harvest carving into her thoughts as she digested the details he shared. On instinct, she lightly touched her cell phone in her purse. She wobbled slightly on the uneven path Stepping carefully so her heels didn't sink into the dirt, Brown caught her by the elbow just as he almost lost her footing. Just as she almost lost her footing. C- careful, he cautioned. Thanks, she said. I guess I'm just not used to getting all dressed up. That's
0: good. Okay. I think that doesn't give away too much, right? No. We know that we're at a winery gala. A winery gala, I guess it's called. Uh, they are dressed up. You've mm-hmm. got a different side of them. Mm-hmm. They're basically on a date.
4: Right. Well, not exactly. Not
0: exactly. What is it then?
4: They're just, you know, friends going to this winery. And I, I honestly. Who
0: got the tickets?
4: <laughs> you know, honestly, I don't know.
0: Ah, see, see that's there's important. There's yeah, the Backstory. Mystery.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that's a good. In- Actually, that is a mystery from what right. happens later in the. Yeah. Right. I hadn't thought of it that way. Where did the tickets come from?
4: So, but it was funny because Robert actually, he gives us a lot of creative um, freedom in mm-hmm. these, where he gives us the skeleton as far as what he wants in to In the <laughs> But as far as, like, you know, choo- choose a winery. Like, that was the first thing that he told me was, was choose a winery that this can be at. He didn't tell me which winery. So I actually chose um, Matanzas Creek Winery because I grew up just down the street from uh-huh. Matanzas okay. Creek. So. And they have the beautiful lavender and everything. So it was a nice setting of the scene. And then he also allows us to, in each chapter, um, you'll notice with each reading that it's in each of our voices where it's, you know, it's the same book and it's, you know, it's edited in a certain way so that it still flows. Mm -hmm. But each chapter, you can kind of hear the Mm -hmm. author's voice in that, which I've always found fascinating as I'm reading this. and.
0: Well, I had the opportunity of reading all the 13 of the 14 chapters, you know, because you'd sent them to me and Mm -hmm. I just sat down and read them all boom to boom. And I noticed that very definitely that there were different voices, we'll Mm -hmm. call them. Mm -hmm. Some of them, it's very intentional, you know, intentional as the voice of the character, Mm -hmm. for instance. Some of us, uh, some of it, the narrator changes uh, because of the writer. Um, Do you, as the two editors, did you have any difficulty with that or does this work most of the time?
2: Um, well, I, I've been on both sides. You know, last season I was a writer. Right. And this season I, I did both. And um, This is Fred. Talk- this is yep. Fred, yes. Right. Um, and last season as, as a writer, I, I remember feeling, gee, I wish I knew more. I wish Robert had given me more notes and I wish I had read more chapters. And then this season as the editor, I really saw the value. As, as Chrissy has just said, if you try to write too many notes, then you're really locking the writer down, and you're going to get a a kind of genericized series of chapters. So I I, I saw the wisdom in what Robert was doing, where you just give sort of a few specific things that need to happen and a setting, um, and then let it go. And um, uh, interestingly, Robert gave me these chapters to edit this year, and there wasn't a lot to change what tends to happen is maybe specific facts are wrong mm-hmm. because each writer has not seen the other chapter. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they might say the vehicle was a Chevy when it should be a F- when an earlier chapter said it was a Ford. Or sometimes a writer will introduce a bit of creativity that doesn't work with the whole flow of the story. Right. And you have to watch for that. But what I found myself doing was, was not editing very, um, strongly just letting it go because that lets each voice, you know, shine through. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, you, we, he just gives us maybe a half a page of notes and then you have a, he gives us a plot structure for the whole story, but right. that's it.
0: Well, Chrissy, you mentioned an interesting thing. I was, cause this is a question I was going to ask everyone. You talk about setting it at Matanzas Creek Winery mm-hmm. because you knew it right. and you knew the smells and you know, it's always wonderful, evocative, to bring smells in, right. right? All the senses. And, Robert, in your chapter that starts on West Avenue, you take us on a guided tour of parts of that section of Santa Rosa down to Hearn and around here and up there and down. I think you end up on Petaluma, uh, Petaluma Hill Road, Road right. Yeah. So did you drive that route to make sure you had it right or did you just check out a map or just know it?
1: Uh, it's a, a, a – Having lived in Santa Rosa for over thirty years, right. it was familiar ground. Uh, some because I've been there as a reporter, and some just because I've uh, had the chance to travel it as a as a resident.
0: Well, that's great. We're going to take a station break right now. You are listening to a special morning serial broadcast of a word by word on KRCB FM, where our conversation was with four of the fourteen writers. the Sonoma Square's Red Harvest murder mystery serial currently appearing each morning in the Press Democrat in print and online. So stay tuned to hear about some of the challenges and joys of writing a sequel to a popular mystery and collaborating with 13 other authors. That's word-by-word conversations with the writers right here on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. So back to Robert and Dan and Chrissy and Fred. Thank you again for being here. So what was the biggest—you've all talked about how wonderful it is. Somebody's going to have to answer this question. What was the problems you had as the writer writing only from notes? Chrissy.
4: Okay. Well, so—
0: He pointed to you, so I assumed that there was a problem. Probably
4: because he he had to email me and talk to me a couple times about getting my chapter in. Ah. Because us in the newsroom um, are notorious for being late on our deadlines for projects like these. At least I can be, uh, or getting things to the last minute. But um, the thing that uh, you don't know about me, Robert, is that I work good under pressure. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, th- I think that was maybe one of the biggest challenges, but also the part that makes made things a little more successful for me because I took a whole afternoon. He actually extended my deadline. And over the weekend, I took one whole afternoon to get the whole entire chapter done And written out and edited and then sent back over to him and, um, you know, he had some light editing. But I think that that was the probably the biggest thing was getting things to him on time. So (laughs) when you say he
0: had some right editing, because we have a lot of listeners who are also writers and they want to, you know, improve their craft skills. Did he give feedback to you as an editor? Absolutely, yes.
4: absolutely, which I always appreciate. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, facts that I couldn't have known at the time that I wrote this. Uh-huh. Um, so he needed to change oh, a couple okay. of things. And so as, that was As the, Fred the was talking part. about, right. Exactly. So.
0: Okay. Any other challenges for the, well, for all three of you? How about, Robert, the challenge to you? You said that was a difficult and challenging chapter. Why was that so, Chapter 5?
1: Well, Fred gave me good feedback, too, uh, on Chapter 5 in terms of uh, I've got uh, the killer and we're pretty much inside his head. Mm -hmm. Then I've got uh, – Very much
0: inside his head, yes.
1: Then I've got the um, uh, home invasion robbers are coming and he was uh, helping me think through you, you can't be in everybody's head at the same time, Robert. So you're going to have to think through point of view here. I wanted to have some dialogue as well between uh, one of the home invasion robbers and the drug dealer there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, that was one of the challenges I had, and Fred was really helpful, which is a reminder that all of us need an editor.
0: So the setting of Santa Rosa and Sonoma County, there's really mostly Santa Rosa here. Was that a choice? Because it's not so we're not we're traveling around at the different cities' plazas as we were in the first
1: well the the story will uh include other places as you move on through the later chapters okay. uh including the grand fondo yes uh which will take you not uh, just through Santa Rosa but through uh the remote parts of the county but uh this uh works i think in part because it's not just local writers but it's also telling a local story mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. um It's something that, uh, quite frankly, was why our editor, Kathy Barnett, started reading the first season last year when it was just online and said, I want to put it in the newspaper. All right. And so uh, in gratitude to her, uh, I'm saying, oh, I think this might be worth uh, uh, keeping that in mind as Mm -hmm. I write future Mm -hmm. stories.
0: Well, by placing the fondo, now I assume the two of you had decided that this was going to be an integral part of this. You also set the time. Of the year. Yes. Right. So that was very helpful, too.
2: We did consider um, other events and locations. Which ones? Oh, I think we talked about uh, the Russian River. We talked about maybe the new casino, maybe the Green Ah. Music Center.
0: Ah. Um, Well, the casino's uh, in the next one. (laughs) I
2: have to say something. That's right,
0: right, because it will be open and and operating by then. Yes,
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, we thought of of other locales. But I, Robert's right. I think you know part of the charm of this series is is that it does deal with specific events and, and locations mm-hmm. in, in the county. Yeah. And this yeah.
0: was your thought to put those in for sure. You gave those as notes to people, or did they come up? The writers come up with
1: that. In terms of most of the locations, um, they were given by Fred and I okay. when, we, when we wrote. Okay. However. Uh, the Fondo chapter uh, by Eric Ganeckow of the North Bay Business Journal, he was the one who came and said, I want to do it from the s- not from the standpoint of what Abby and Sandra are seeing that day. Right. I want to do it from the standpoint of what uh, the newspaper editor in Santa Rosa is learning about it from a reporter who's on the scene. Mm-hmm. Something terrible is going to happen to Sandra and mm-hmm. Abby that day, mm-hmm. but it's going to be relayed. By the reporter who's there talking with the editor. And, right. You know, again, that's the sort of creative thing that I wouldn't have thought of that when he said that, it went, oh, that could be a really interesting chapter.
0: And the Boston Marathon echoes, of course, not to give too mm-hmm. much away, but, mm-hmm. you know, the front page stories mm-hmm. of the last year mm-hmm. uh, have great impact on this entire uh, mystery.
1: Can we go back, because because Dan's first year writer, I was curious what his challenge was. I, I want to. Okay. Yeah. Well, we
0: we're going to get to that, but that's we're going to go in in order of chapters. So let's start right there, <laughs> chapter two.
3: Well, I I think because the the plot structure uh, was so well thought out, and because the characters were so well defined, I kind of wanted to see what I could add, and I did work in a couple of cameo characters of my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, a street musician that I named for a reporter that I worked with at four newspapers ago. <laughs> kind but, of scruffy
0: street musician. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: And I always, uh, it's been a long crusade of mine to always get a little humor into the paper uh, whenever I can, because I think it's a very depressing exercise every morning to see all of this gloom. And this is a thriller, and, and, and but they, they gave me an opportunity to do kind of a light chapter, because these are two fr- good friends. Mm-hmm. Are, um, you know, they used to work in the same town, and now one of them's gone to the big city, and... Some some banter about who's jealous of whom and so so uh, that was basically what I was looking for and then you know moving away from the dialogue dialogue structure my son who writes was coaching me that I had to get him out of the out, out of the office and mm-hmm. and uh, that the, the two women reporters probably wouldn't have that whole conversation at her desk right and, and that opened up everything that was a lot of fun. So you yeah, know, I was just kind of making it fit. I was trying to make it fit. Uh, I, I knew that they were going to go to a winery event, which I was supposed to hint at and mm-hmm. set up. And I knew that that uh, Abby and and Zach Brown, the detective, were an item. Mm-hmm. So. To get and I could play with that a little bit. It was, it was a lot of fun.
0: So I have to ask this question. Did you go to San Francisco purposefully to make sure that you had the settings right and and right off the uh, lunch the, and, and the toll on the bridge? No, there was
3: no expense account that they <laughs> told me. <about. laughs> I, uh,
0: I was hoping that the answer was yes. I thought I might work that into one of my columns.
3: In my early years as a press Democrat, I was a, a, a rep for the newspaper guild from mm-hmm. Santa Rosa. Mm-hmm. and I went down to the city all the time. Yeah and met in, in their buildings down there and hung out down there. And I used to go down there on stories more than I do right now, but I've reviewed theater and, and covered music all over San Francisco and gone to movie previews and interviewed movie stars at the Fairmont and so forth. So I, I, I had a feel for for what it would be like. Right. Well, good.
0: So does that answer your question? Thank you. <laughs> yes, perfect. So that was Chapter 2, Chapter 3. Is you, Fred. So, Uh, same question.
2: Well, the the challenges were um, the reader is seeing these characters for the first time. So I needed to introduce them. I needed to give them each a distinctive voice. And then the other challenge was, um, I've learned in my novel, is that when you're writing action, it's like choreography. You have to tell the reader where each person is Mm -hmm. on the stage. Mm -hmm. And I cheated a little bit by having the robber's talk beforehand about what the layout of the house was like and where mm-hmm. each one was going to go. That saved me having to tell the reader all of that. Um well
0: you did it's exposition by having the in the dialogue, exactly,
2: right? Exactly. Yeah. Um the the one challenge for all of us is we have about eight hundred words. So you can't go on forever. And so um I had to describe an action scene in which certain specific things happen. And and get out at the end of eighty words, eight uh, eight hundred words, um, and I yeah you know, I, I think that that's really it. It's just trying to introduce these new characters to the reader so the reader would engage with them and and um, feel like they knew who they were.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Last year I I did a chapter that um, it was at the Handcar Regatta, and Robert assigned me that chapter, I had never been to the HanCar Regatta. And so the first thing I did was I went to the Press Democrat uh, photo archives right. and downloaded dozens of photos. And so my description last year of the HanCar Regatta is based on actual people who were in those photographs. Um, that
0: did they recognize themselves when they, they read it? They probably did. Oh, you didn't hear <laughs> they it that feedback? You did a great yeah. job, Yeah. yeah. And the same thing going to happen with the Grand Fondo. People are going to recognize themselves in that.
1: Eric is a is a cyclist. He is uh, uh, he goes out with some of our Press Democrat colleagues who go cycling, and he understands the Grand Fondo. So yeah, they will, they will get a sense of what it's like to be there.
0: Right. It's a chapter you can look forward to. The Grand Fondo is. Let's see which one here. It will be on uh, July tenth. Yeah, chapter eleven. Right. So look, look, read that carefully and see if you recognize the people in the crowds or on the bikes. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're going to turn to Christy. Um, same question. What are the challenges that, you know, that came on to you other than um, the ones you've mentioned already?
4: Well, writing blindly when I get in there and I don't know what's happened. I'm yeah. so far down yeah. into um, the book. because You're the
0: middle of the book.
4: Right. And so much has happened, but I don't know what's happened. Um, so, um, I don't think I knew that Abby and Brown were an item. Like I had, I had no idea about that. So I I just have these three friends going to a gala and, you know, that's all I know. I mean, I have like a, a, an idea of where it's supposed to go, the, um, skeleton towards it and, you know, what they're doing there. And a lot of it is just rehashing what happened, um, the, well, the you've got the line night. in
0: there, not bad for an ink-stained wretch,
4: Correct. referring
0: to her in the bright, you know, beautiful red dress.
4: Sandra. No, he was saying that to Sandra. He was
0: saying that to Sandra. No, yes. Sandra's in yes. the evening, the black evening gown. Yes, right. trying right. to oh, blend sorry. in.
4: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and she's not used to dressing up, but, you know, she cleans um, up nicely.
0: Okay. So you've got the banter of friends here, not right. anything more, because you, right. you didn't know if there was I anything I had
4: no more. idea what was going on. I think I even had Brown flirting a little bit, but we that's not where it was supposed to go. So that got edited just Aha. slightly. Aha, interesting. So, um, so that was one of the challenges um, that I had, well, the biggest challenge that I had going in there. So um, it was helpful, though, to be able to read the chapter before, but some of our authors didn't even have that luxury because mm-hmm. it wasn't—they weren't written yet. Mm-hmm. So they just had to kind of. Um, so does everyone have the same up.
0: deadline then?
1: There are deadlines, and then there are deadlines. <laughs> I won't tell you the name of the person who handed his in a couple of weeks ago.
0: All right, before but, publication. <laughs> but
1: it—it uh, it is that challenge for them all, uh, and I really appreciate the flexibility they have because. I have to come back to them sometimes and and talk about what doesn't work. And it may not be because of something they wrote. It may be because of how it's all going to fit together.
0: Yes. And they yeah. have no concept of that. Because yeah. the other collaborators I've had in here and there were mystery writers. They mm-hmm. were a former couple who were now living in mm-hmm. separately, and, but still communicate via email, apparently. Mm-hmm. And the he wrote the uh, male part and she wrote the female part. And mm-hmm. the idea was that each was trying to throw the other one off with red herrings and new characters coming in out of mm-hmm. left field and mm-hmm. you know and and stuff you knew nothing about the background of the characters before it was mm-hmm. in that chapter sort and and when you read it that way knowing that it was a, a farce really mm-hmm. and a put on to get the other person's goat it was extremely fun but most people who read the novel didn't know that mm-hmm. right so would you consider for another installment of having people read the chapters ahead of them other than just the one that Christy did.
1: Well, it's possible. The, the nature of uh, the production schedule for this is... It's,
0: yeah, but you're in charge, right? <laughs> you can say this is due January instead of two weeks before a deadline.
1: There I'm talking press and, and there are <laughs> We're and, back to uh, that, yes. Uh, it really does help all of us to be looking at um oh I've only got a couple more weeks to do this rather than, oh, it's September. I don't need this till January. Okay. We work well with a thousand words, eight hundred words, yeah. and we work well with a couple weeks. But um this is this is a very much a, a collaborative, I do it cause I like it right, kind of thing right. that all the artists and writers take part in. And I'd be reluctant to try to just go, okay. We're going to write this. Nobody's going to write chapter ten until chapters one through nine are written, because it might be many years before you see us again.
4: <laughs> and I have to say, like, even though um, you know that was one of the challenges, it's also kind of part of the fun because right. you're writing from the edge of your seat. Yes, you have no idea what's going on. You're you're it's it, you're taking a risk, you know, in your writing. So I actually, you know, even though I say that was a challenge. I really do think that was a lot of the fun part of it, was making something up that I had no idea if it was going to work. If it wasn't. And it was a you know a treat to know that, yeah, most of it did work.
0: <laughs> so, Robert, on your digital stories, do you explain this uh, process in a little more depth so that people understand the challenges that everyone has? Or have you done that? <sighs>
1: We, Would you uh, like to? W- I may need to go back now, now that you've mentioned uh, <laughs> it. Uh, we've put a little bit of the, the uh, process up, but not, not a ton, not a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me, the, the fun of it is uh, I'm as surprised as they are sometimes because of what they come up with mm-hmm. uh, and how well it works. Um, I, I'm trying to help them understand where the story is going. And what needs to happen in their chapter. But still within that, um, one example, Paul Gullickson, our editorial director, has a key interview between the sheriff's detective and –
0: Love that chapter.
1: And a death row inmate who knows something uh, really key about this story and knows something really key about the killer. And I told Paul, this this story isn't going to work unless you get this right, you know. Go to <laughs> right. And, well, and it's, there's what,
0: a Hannibal Lecter feel to this, this visit in San Quentin. You know, it's just uh,
1: and and when he creepy, uh, yeah. When he brought it back to me, I was like, you know, this is something that I couldn't have thought of. And yeah. thank you. This yeah. this is going to make the story. It's going. It's a critical chapter. It adds an did. entire
0: different level to it.
1: What is going on inside the head of the killer? Right. That's right.
0: Well, not that uh, the killer and the killer in jail. You know, because uh, good point. He does. The killer in jail very, you know, plays it very close to the chest about mm-hmm. uh, what what kind of discussions they had over the years. As he was, the other man was doing his master's thesis. Not to give too much away. So no, no, no we got to stop there. Okay. But anyway, really good writing. I'm impressed with all of the writers. I think that they, considering how they, they it's not the traditional serial writing when you know the ones that are done. That are done like a Christmas anthology where, mm-hmm. you know, a, a variety of mystery writers are handed a chapter and then they, you know, that's passed on to the next and passed on to the next, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And Santa Claus didn't do it or did do it. We don't ever know. But, uh, you know, some very famous ones have been done with some mm-hmm. really, you know, name brand authors. This is not, I mean, it's their name brand writers, but they're not known for this. hmm type of serial
3: work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's almost like a jam. It's like a bunch of musicians. (laughs) That's right.
0: That's right. So speaking of that, and this is the next question. So when do you do Together for Fun? Do you get together as a group ever? Are you planning to? Hint, hint. (laughs) (laughs) I was not prompted by the other people here, just so you know.
1: Uh, And Heather Irwin, who uh, does Bike Club for the newspaper and was involved in the first chapter, that was her. Thing, hey, we need to get together. Yeah, And Anna Manwaring, one of uh, the writers,
0: she's from Pen Grove, right?
1: Uh, she said, hey, I want you guys to all read this at uh, the Sonoma County Book Festival. So last uh-huh. year, yes. that's where the writers first all got together. Mm-hmm. And some of us went out after and had a sarsaparilla. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, it, it is a strange kind of concept because a lot of the people haven't met. One another mm-hmm. and so perhaps we will rectify that before yeah. the summer's over
0: so do you at least have everybody's email I mean not just the ones who are on the you know the PD click here and go there or I'm talking about because you've got some writers from outside they uh,
1: right about half uh, or more than half the writers are from outside uh, we have Linda a Facebook McCabe page is one
0: of the ones who was last time and in again too yeah
1: exactly yeah we've got about five writers including Chrissy and me from Redwood writers and uh, some other local authors mm. Mm-hmm. And so Facebook is a is one place that folks can communicate. Right now, um it's been uh pretty much we're just kind of trying to get everything ready, you know, but maybe we'll enjoy it as the thing unfolds and uh, tell one another what a good job we did.
0: Okay. So, tell me feedback from last year. What uh what kind of things you heard that no one may know that you want to share, of course. <laughs>
1: Um, I think it was just the surprise of the idea um, because you 're right uh, newspapers don 't typically do fiction, but serials are not typically done this way mm-hmm. and so I think the biggest surprise was just how do you get a number of people together and tell one story? I can understand you get sixteen writers and tell sixteen different stories right so I think that was the the main thing. People were pleasantly surprised that. There was a, one story that came out of this that they liked, and they liked uh, being surprised by who put it together.
0: So, Dan, when you read the first you, – you, you, did you read it daily in the in the paper when it came out?
3: Or? I was kind of hit and miss when it came out, frankly. So that's one of the reasons that, I, that when I took on this assignment, I printed out the whole thing. And, and I just sat read it in On sequence. an afternoon and read yeah. it all, yeah. Right. And it so hangs together pretty well. It does, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. But there are – you can tell the shifts, you know uh Paul Paul Gullickson's chapter in the last book it had to do with a, a flashback and mm-hmm. a, a a near drowning and right. there's this stuff that came out of that you I can see why uh, Robert and Fred have decided wisely to keep the keep it kind of loose because uh you get surprises that way yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Well, we've got a few minutes left. I'd like to, um, I mean, I could start a whole another whole hour and ask you about the history of journalism and where it's going, uh, if you know, and then we can all bet on the right horse, so to speak. But talk a little bit about your other projects. Robert, start with your book and what you're working on now.
1: Well, I'm working on uh, the second uh, book in a fantasy series. The, the first book uh, published is Horse Stalker. And so... Uh, Again, trying to balance working uh, the day job as a newspaper reporter and trying to do some fun things like this and mm-hmm. trying to write fantasy. Uh, but I, I really like it, I, and I really like the collaboration that I was able to have with these folks. So,
0: so Chrissy, you'd write fantasy as well. Tell us about your, your – uh, what do we call it? Universe.
4: Well, the book that I just wrote is called A Symphony of Cicadas. Um, it's actually based on a dream that I had while planning my own wedding last year. Congratulations. Um, thank you. I assume um, it happened.
3: It it did yeah. happen. <laughs> We're still happily
4: married in the throes of, you know, honeymoon bliss and um but the main character in the book is um planning her own wedding and then a terrible accident happens and she's left having to pick up the pieces and um she's sent into this world that she doesn't um she's not familiar with and um it's it's just it I don't know. I mean I really Felt this this book, and um, right now I'm working on the sequel to it mm. um, called Forever Thirteen. So can you
0: give us an idea of the other world? Is it a uh, parallel world. planet, or what? Well, or are she we? has
4: an accident, uh-huh. and she is um, <laughs> she's sent into the afterlife. Ah. So she is um, uh, in this world that she's not familiar with, um, trying to find her ins and out of there, trying to hold on to the life that she had, and being pulled, you know, in two directions. Mm. And, um, so, uh, those who have read it will, um, be pleased to know that I leave an unanswered question at the end of the book and I'm answering that question, the sequel that I'm writing right now.
0: And the name of the book again?
4: Forever 13.
0: Okay, good. And the one that's already out?
4: The Symphony of Cicadas.
0: Perfect. Dan, <laughs> are you writing and doing something outside of, you know, doing collaborations well, with your son? Well, thanks
4: to this project,
3: I've started working on an idea I had since my first reporting job and I, I haven't gotten very far with it, but it. It, it has to do with uh, a couple of hobos I interviewed when I was a r- rookie recorder, and uh, and and.
0: Uh, you mean really railroad riding hobos? Yeah, this was
3: this is like in the, in the late '60s, and they were named Ace and Whitey, and they uh, they were cooking beans by the side of the of the tracks, and uh-huh. I, they were probably the last of their breed. And I went out there and did this story with them, and wow. I always thought, you know. There, there's probably a lot more into their lives. And I, I, I've i always wondered what it would be like to have a detective hero who was homeless. I don't think oh, that's ever been done. I'm not good, sure I should give good, that idea yeah, away on a, the air. But. That's a niche. Uh-oh, there's 14 of them out there yeah. by the time you get yours. In well, there there may be some. But 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 uh, but I just thought, uh, and, and then the rookie reporter character, based on what I was like at that point and uh-huh. the silly things I did and running into a burning house and having the fire chief... Order me out! Yeah, I was eager to get the story.
0: I hope you saved the baby too, <laughs> or the dog, or the fish, or whatever it was. That's you a good would've... idea. I'll write that. All in. right. And Fred, you—you you, your novel. Tell us about that.
2: So, I um, two years ago I published a novel called Teller, and it all takes place in Sonoma County. The main character is a guy named Charlie Teller, and um, he moves up to Sonoma County from Los Angeles to be close to his ex-wife and daughter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in the first chapter, he's in a restaurant downtown Santa Rosa and happens to see um, someone killed. And so the rest of the novel is him trying to figure out who the killer was. Um, But it also has a unique plot. Um, Charlie Teller is at the end of his career. He's kind of a washed-up writer. And his career was he was a... Ghostwriter of celebrity autobiographies. Oh wow. And so every five chapters he pauses in his telling of this mystery story and he tells you the life of one of his clients. So the novel has a mystery plus embedded in it are seven miniature autobiographies of these celebrities. So there's a there's an aging We're novelist. Celebrities? No, there's no. imagined. there's okay. a there's an aging novelist, there's a British rock singer, there's a film actress, there's a Major League Baseball player, there's an Olympic speed skater. So he tells you their stories in these single chapters. And then while he's telling those stories, he tells you about his career. So there's three plot lines. There's the mystery, there are these uh, embedded memoirs, and then there's Charlie's career. And they all uh, you know, converge at the end. Um, so I published that in the end of 2011. Uh, and I did pretty well. And um, I'm now about three quarters of the way through a second novel called Elise. Uh, it's the woman's name, the French version of Elizabeth. Right. And it's a um, mystery. It takes place this time just in Santa Rosa, and it's about five um, police detectives who are trying to solve the murder of a woman in Spring Lake Park. Mm. And so this one's really a kind of mystery called a police procedural where these five detectives are working on clues and trying to figure out who the killer is.
0: Is Teller appear in this novel?
2: Teller doesn't appear, but the cop who's in Teller ah, is the main cop okay. in the second novel. So you've yeah.
0: got a character that follows through. Yes. Yeah, very interesting. Well, this has really been fun. <laughs> I hope everyone out there will be picking up the paper or going to PressDemocrat.com or com. is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, keeping up with the. You know the the chapters as they come out, there are some surprises coming that we've been very careful to mostly avoid. A few little hints. Um, these it's just fun. It's really, really it's come together, and I'm delighted that you, were you the originator of the the concept. Yes, Robert. Mm-hmm. Um, and I now that you have a collaborator close who can edit and help you with that, I'm sure that it will even get better and better and better. And we look forward to dare I say, the next season, <laughs> season three. Thank you again. The name of the book or the, the season this time is, uh,
1: tell me. Sonoma Square's Red Harvest. Red Harvest,
0: which is the Red Harvest is an important clue. Itself, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yes. yes. Thank you again.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Gil.
0: You have been listening to a special morning serial broadcast of word-by-word North Bay Public Media, and that serial spelled S-E-R-I-A-L. That's on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM, where our conversation was with four of the 14 writers for the Sonoma Square's Red Harvest Murder Mystery Serial, currently appearing each morning in the Press Democrat in print and online. Our studio guests were Press Democrat entertainment reporter Dan Taylor... Sonoma Square's Red Harvest co-editor, Frederick Wiesel, author of the mystery, Teller, a Novel. Musician, PD, staff writer and blogger and author of the fantasy novel, Horse Stalker, Robert Digitali, And press Democrat writer and blogger, Chrissy Langwell, author of the newly released novel, A Symphony of Cicadas. Our studio engineer is Mark Fuller, our program director is Robin Pressman. Our theme music is by Bill Conti, and I am your host, Gil Mansur. We invite you to tune in at 7 o'clock on Wednesday, August 7th, when our word by word conversation will be with the celebrated novelist and physicist Ransom Stevens and his newly released novel, The Sensory Deception. Until then, we want to wish you a safe, sane, and fun Fourth of July.